Space tourism is often talked about as a niche market, but it's extraordinarily expensive. And even to go up on Virgin Galactic or Blue Origin, both incredible companies, but you're talking about several hundred thousand dollars. Not easy to put on a credit card. With Moon, for $500, you will be able to spend 90 minutes walking on the lunar surface. Hello and welcome to Blue Sky Thinking, a mind-expanding podcast from Globe Trender that explores the bold ideas that are pushing our boundaries and broadening our horizons. I am your host, travel journalist and entrepreneur, Jenny Southern, and every episode I will be going on a conversational journey with the innovators and visionaries who are shaping the future of travel. My guest today is Michael Henderson, co-founder of Moonworld Resorts, a wildly ambitious project that was first conceived more than 20 years ago in the year 2000. Before we start this chat, I just want to say that this week's episode of Blue Sky Thinking is sponsored by Kayak. Kayak is a travel search engine that allows you to compare prices for flights, hotels and car hire, meaning you don't have to jump around from one website to another making test bookings like I used to do. There are a lot of great features on Kayak for frequent travellers like you and I, so I just want to take a few moments to tell you about some of my favourites. If you're looking at a variety of flights to a certain destination and you'll know roughly when you'll travel but it's not locked in, there's an option to compare multiple departure and return dates. This will show you if it's cheaper or maybe more convenient to fly a day or two earlier or a couple of days later. You can also filter your flight search. For me, that's usually direct flights only, if I can. I like to avoid too much of an early start or a very late arrival, so I adjust the takeoff and landing time. I've been researching a family holiday to Crete recently, and these features have been really useful because my daughter is young and we don't like to fly at awkward times of the day, but we also need to keep costs down. Finally, once you have the options in front of you, you can compare flight prices from numerous online travel agents as well as the airlines themselves. So for your next trip, start your search on Kayak. Taking the form of a giant moon perched on top of a resort, inside would be a floor spanning the entire horizontal cross-section of the orb that would function as a replica of the moon's surface, allowing guests to have an immersive lunar experience. So far, Michael and his co-founder Sandra Matthews have invested more than £20 million in bringing their blue sky concept to life. And with licensing deals now on the horizon, it may not be much longer until the public can have their very own Neil Armstrong moment. Welcome to Blue Sky Thinking, Michael. Great to be with you, Jenny. Nice to see you again. You too. Where are you calling in from today? Today I'm in a little island off the west side of Vancouver uh, in British Columbia. Is Vancouver home for you? Well, like you, home is 40,000 feet in the air in a metal bird. But for now, yes, Vancouver is, uh, is home base, home base Canada. Uh, our head office is in Toronto on the eastern uh, side. But yes, I still, I still think the west coast is the best coast. But I never can tell my business partner that, otherwise I get in a lot of trouble. You're obviously from Ireland, judging by your accent. Tell us a bit more about your your roots. So first of all, I always say when people recognize the accent, and of course, at my age, you can't get rid of it. 
I always uh, say, now, you know, I'm from Ireland, but you mustn't hold that against me. To which some people will very quickly say, no, 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 I really love the Irish. And then I have to say, I'm just kidding. My roots are in County Down, which is about a little place called Helen's Bay, little small village on the beach, probably 20 miles southeast of Belfast. And that's basically where I grew up. What did your parents do for a living? Uh, My father was actually a government employee. I'm often asked because people will think, you know, uh, you're in this design business and was your father an architect or, you know, designer, engineer. And he actually was uh, one of those uh, British government employees, nine to five, didn't have a lot of ambition when it came to sort of doing anything in the private sector, just was kind of uh, happy to uh, to work for the government and and retire with a good pension. <laughs> uh, all those very logical things that one really should consider, because uh, he's the beneficiary of it now. But um, but that that wasn't for me. I, I was uh, determined to do something a little bit a little bit more radical, perhaps. Uh, my mother actually was a paralegal for a, a law firm in uh, in Belfast. So, you know, they they were pretty steady as you go uh, type of folk, probably thought they would uh, have a son that would follow in their footsteps of steady as, as you know, steady as you go. Obviously, that didn't, uh, that plan didn't work out quite uh, the way they had uh, thought. <laughs> so, no, they're great. They're great folks. They're both, uh, they're both still alive. They're both very healthy. They both travel the world. They had a good uh, and have a, a good life. Um, they're coming to Canada shortly, so we're looking forward to uh, to seeing them. What was school like for you? It sucked. I hated it. I hated every minute of it. There was nothing about school that I liked. Um, I had ginger hair and glasses, and if if you're the only person in the class, virtually the only person in the school with ginger hair and glasses, you are different. And if you're different, uh, people <laughs> people want to uh, make you very aware that you're different. And uh, in a boys' school, um, sometimes that can be tough. <laughs> but I, you know, I love math. Uh, I love technical drawing. I like, you know, the design aspects. But um, I, I was very impatient. I couldn't quite understand why I had to learn about. Uh, historical issues that happened centuries ago. Of course, it's really good. The British system, the Irish system, it's a it's based on an all-round education system. I get it. But I would have much preferred to pick two subjects that I really liked and focus all my time on those. Uh, I couldn't wait to get out of school and uh, get into doing anything. It didn't really matter what it was. I just wanted to get started. I, I just wanted to get into business in some shape or form. I don't think it was a very good educational system, but is there a good one in the world? I'm not sure. I, I think uh, it's all about what the student wants, and I knew what I wanted. And really, I don't know they they could have done what much with me. I remember, uh, I remember vividly uh, a great story one particular uh, teacher, I'm not sure what grade it was, I'm not even sure what age I was, perhaps 10, 11, 12, that sort of age. The chap said to me, you know, Henderson, 
I have to tell you something. You're a very different student. And I'm not really sure how to categorize you. And I'm not sure what you're going to end up doing. I think you're either going to be a billionaire or you're going to be a complete failure at everything. And um, it's up to you. <laughs> but I, I, I just can't put my quite put my finger on. And so I always remember that sort of story because um, at the time, I didn't even know what a billionaire was. <laughs> I knew what a complete failure was, but it was just, uh, it was a funny little thought. And uh, yeah, I, I can remember that vividly. I, I just, I think they were scratching their head trying to, you know, slot me into um, a particular little sort of niche. Um, but they were having great difficulty doing that. So here we are all these years later and um uh, maybe uh, if that teacher is still alive, maybe they'd get uh, a little bit of chuckle that the 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 person the person that we're trying to slot into that little niche is ending up bringing the moon to Earth. Maybe that's uh, maybe that makes sense now. <laughs> you did not continue with a formal education beyond your O level exams. What have you learned from the school of life? Oh my goodness. That's a, such a great question. I think, well, you learn many things, but I think um, the old adage of um, when you're young, people will say to you, you know, ask an older person for advice. And of course, you never do uh, because you always, when you're young, uh, feel that why would you need to? Because, you know, you know everything. And uh, it's actually should be the other way around. You should be telling the older folk um, what they need to know. And I think uh, as you get older, <laughs> you suddenly um, start to realize that actually older people do know a lot more, um, not because they're smarter, not because they're um, clever, not because they've attended institutions, whatever. It's just they've gone through life. Um, they've got all the knocks, they've had all the stories, they've, you know, they've been through all the good, the bad and the ugly. And I'm, I'm absolutely convinced it's the only way to learn. Um, I have great respect for any young person who goes through university, who sticks it out, uh, who does their BA, MBA, all these sort of things. They're great. But I honestly don't believe there's any substitute for, for living, for being in business. Uh, for seeing all of the pitfalls uh, that one has to go through. And uh, with all its challenges, I don't think there's any other way that you, you actually can learn. Um, you can see how humans interact. You can see uh, how some wonderful people you surround yourself with. And you can see there's awful people that are out there and they'll do awful things. Um, that you wouldn't believe until they do them. Nowadays, I relish getting into a room with some older folk who have become very close friends because you can really gather two, three people in a room, four people in a room, and you can ask any question. And sure enough, one of the people in the room has been through exactly the same issue. My short version answer to your excellent question is, uh, as a young person in business, Never be frightened to ask a gray hair person 
um, a question because chances are they've, they've kind of been through the same issue. You've had a very varied career. Have you always had big dreams? I think so. Um, I mean, they've changed along the, the way, obviously. Um, but I think so. I've, I've never wanted to slot into um, a situation, uh, a, a job, a career, um, where you had to stay at a certain point for 10 years before you moved up the ladder for the next 10 and so on. Uh, just wasn't me. So each time I've got into something, uh, for better or for worse, I wanted to radically change it uh, as quickly as possible. Um, it's not always a good thing. Sometimes it's good to spend a few years getting to know something before you start to move on, but it just wasn't me. Um, and so, you know, the traditional uh, business scenario of uh, uh, the American success story of open open one pizza store, two years later, open two, you know, two years later, open six and so on. And by the time you've been in the business for 20, you got 200 pizza stores and, you know, you've done very well. Uh, 20 years would have been too long for me. Um, I would have wanted to open two pizza stores the first couple of years and then 400 the next year. Um, and and so, and that's not easy. But it's just, it, it's just part of the DNA. Um, I don't know where the DNA came from, but it's just part of the DNA. So I, I um, yeah, just slotting into a, a normal career path uh, really wasn't wasn't for me. And I, I was searching for many years to try to get the uh, opportunity to really uh, do something exciting and different. At the age of eight, you loved designing airports. When did you first go abroad? Well, my father introduced me to aircraft aviation. Um, he was a bit of a fan of aviation. I had a little aircraft radio, uh, Belfast International Airport, uh, way back in the, uh, I guess, the 70s. Um, you know, you were lucky if you got two aircraft, maybe three a day. So, um, you know, when they would come overhead, I'd rush out of the house and stare at them like some crazy person but uh, i just loved them and uh we would go up he would take me up to aldergrove uh which was the airport and we'd literally spend a day um waiting for these two or three aircraft to come in just to get a glimpse of them old viscounts and vanguards and tridents and all sorts of old sort of uh british aircraft and i just loved it when we would be uh, sent home projects uh, from school. I would design airports uh, and and bring in all of these airport designs to which the the teacher would say, "This is not what I asked for. <laughs> uh, this was supposed to be a, a beach scene." Um, and so I said, "I, I don't want to do beach scenes. I have no interest in that." But here's an airport. <laughs> so uh, anyway, who would have known so many years later? Um, some of the design um, things uh, would would start to sort of slot into place. But as far as travel is concerned, um, I mean, we would we would do typically back in those days. Um, you know, you would do local travel, and then package tours were basically starting in their infancy. And Mallorca was the uh, place to go, and you know, uh, the British tour companies would start 
coming to Belfast and you could actually fly to Italy and you could fly to Spain and Benidorm and all these sort of places that when you actually went, um, everybody was British, uh, everybody was Irish, everybody, you know, all the Spanish had left because they had been invaded by this British package tour industry. That was my first glimpse of Central Europe and and sort of starting that 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 travel, which of course would take a couple of hours on a plane, and it seemed like an awfully uh, long way. Now, of course, you and I are both traveling 14, 15, 16 hours in a plane. It seems like nothing anymore. So it's everything has changed. Everything. At the age of twelve, you set up a second hand shop at school. What were you selling? <laughs> Everything, um, anything. <laughs> uh, we we have something uh, in North America called a dollar store. I maybe you have them in in the UK as well, but it's kind of a, a, a sort of tacky, junky store. You can go in and buy anything, and so uh, old aircraft uh, magazines, or oh my goodness, everything you can think of, old books, um, and people would bring stuff in, and uh, you know leave it with me and and uh it was a it was a used um garbage uh store but people actually bought stuff and teachers actually bought stuff so it was uh, i guess it was the first venture into uh uh business career uh it uh yeah it, it certainly wasn't gonna become a billionaire from that little store i can tell you <laughs> But it was it was it was fun, you know. It was it was uh, silly and in you know madness. But there it was, a little store in a in a library in a school, and somehow the teachers didn't come and shut it down. They they let it flow, and so in break times and lunch times, I would man the store. Did I make uh, one or two pounds a week? Maybe that was it. <laughs> So enough to enough to buy a chocolate bar, perhaps. And what did you learn about money growing up? And how has your perception and understanding of money changed since then? I'm not sure. I I, I learned an awful lot about uh, money growing up, really. Uh, apart from the fact that uh, life is easier when you have it, and it's harder when you don't. Um, and um, money definitely does not buy you happiness. Uh, absolutely. Some of the wealthiest people I know are the most miserable people I know. Um, and so, you know, it, it's it's a tool, um, and it's a in business, it's an absolutely necessary tool, but it's really nothing more than a tool. That's really, really interesting. So I think at this point, we need to hear all about Moonworld Resorts. Tell us how you first dreamt up this audacious idea. One word, Guinness. <laughs> it really is as simple as that. Uh, but really, um, the truth is my partner, Sandra Matthews, who's based in our headquarters in, in Toronto, we had a, uh, a time in our lives where um, we could actually think about what we actually really wanted to do rather than uh, taking jobs or building companies that were um, sort of a means to an end. 
uh, we had actually uh, in 2000 got to a point where we could actually stop, think what would we really like to do, um, uh, and then try to pull something together. And so we we made a list of 10 different businesses, um, some good, some not so good, and we sort of chipped away at them. And we started down the line of one in particular, um, uh, which was sort of sort of like a, a Whole Foods. And we sort of started down that path and we always had this other one destination resort in the back of our minds. And um, the more we sort of got into the uh, the food sort of one, we thought, you know, it's going to be interesting and we're going to be able to build this probably reasonably quickly, but is it really exciting enough? And we sort of started coming back to the the destination resort one. But <clears throat> the, the keys for the destination resort project were, uh, you, you're in the travel uh, industry and, and you know that world extremely well. We had traveled a lot in other businesses we were involved in. And there are some incredible resorts out there uh, and, and some wonderful operators and so on. But fundamentally, we found that in our minds, they were all the same. There wasn't that much of a difference. Uh, brand X, you know, brand Y, brand Z. If you're blindfolded and taken into the lobby, uh, if I took off the blindfold and said, "Are you are you here? Are you in this? Is this where you are?" Sometimes it's tricky to tell the difference. We wanted to create something totally unique and totally different. We wanted to blow everybody's mind. We wanted to take people like you who are travel experts and, and say, take a look at this. Have you ever seen anything like this before? And of course, we want you, you to say, my goodness, no, how did you do this? So that side of the equation, we had a reasonable confidence level we could do. The problem was we also needed a brand. We didn't have 25 years to build a brand. We didn't have a hundred you know, million dollars to start building a brand. And so we, we, we were in search of a brand that already existed. Um, but it already existed, but nobody else could have had it because we couldn't pinch someone else's brand. And so for, for us, that was really the real difficulty. How can you create something unique and different that has a brand that nobody else has? And so we kind of started to lean back into this business again and said, let's, let's try this. Um, let's try to seek out, um, this destination resort project. And so you know, we hammered and hammered and hammered away at it, um, and it became a little bit exhausting. And at times, you thought, you know, maybe maybe we got to try something else. Um, th- this is too difficult. And one night, one infam- infamous night, uh, I had a penthouse in uh, central downtown Vancouver, and uh, I was living on a, a an island at the time, but I was down uh, town at the time, so. Um, the night sort of went uh, looking at um, Richard Rogers, uh, Lord Rogers, the late, who was my favorite uh, architect. Uh, my favorite building is the Lloyd's Building in London, and trying to sort of trying to get inspiration from that book. And yes, a few Guinness were involved. Um, and uh, you know, the night went on, the pages kept flipping, and more Guinness got poured. Eventually, it was time to crash. And so uh, went upstairs, uh, crashed, and uh, just brain was fried trying to think of 
how could we do this? Um, by two o'clock in the morning, um, uh, I was uh, awoken because the room was very bright. And I thought, you know, maybe had too many Guinness and left the lights on. So I, I get up to turn the lights off. And of course, I turned them on. Uh, I couldn't quite figure this out. How was the room lit? And so the next thought was, um, there's a lot of movie industry work happens in Vancouver. It's known as uh, Hollywood North. And often at night, they'll uh, do movie sh uh, shoots and these massive lights light up the whole uh, street. And so, of course, I have to peek outside to see, you know, is it Mission Impossible or what's being filmed? And uh, as I went over the little sort of perforated blinds, uh, I opened them and there it was. Uh, full moon. Uh, I could nearly touch it. It was so bright. It was so obvious. And uh, it was a split second um, instant thought that. There's the answer. Um, it's it's uh, we're we're going to do the moon. The next morning, uh, went to the office and Sandra came in and I I, I can remember it. It, it it it's a good it's a good part of the movie. Uh, I can remember her saying good morning. I I said good morning. Don't say anything. Don't say one word. Sit. Open up the laptop. I got mine opened and I just said, it's going to be called moon. We're going to bring the moon to Earth. I don't want to forget anything. Let's let's start getting it done on paper. And uh, I know I think she said you're crazy, but okay, let's keep going. We went for lunch, and we met in a little French restaurant with paper uh, tablecloth. And I started to draw the project on the tablecloth, and so we paid for the meal and took the tablecloth with us. Um, that's the story of Moon. Um, really and truly, it, it's one of those funny stories. It'll it'll look, you know, it'll be interesting in a book. It'll look great in a movie. People will say, "Ah, oh, it could never have happened like that," but that's exactly how it it actually uh, happened. It was so obvious, and so we end up with the biggest brand in the world. Eight billion people know our brand. Everybody loves the moon. We have the biggest billboard in the world. It's free. It's lit. So welcome to Moon. It's the perfect example of blue sky thinking. So what were you doing for a living at that time? Uh, you, you said you were working with Sandra. You had an office. Yeah, we, we, well, we actually had uh, left the previous business um, and we had done quite well out of that uh, business. And we were, we were really trying to seek and say, well, you know, what will we do? What, what's our next move? And so it was everything time wise was, was great. Um, and it was it was perfect. So we started our journey. Um, we did not think the journey was going to be this long. We did not think it was going to be this expensive. In fact, it's just as well we didn't know because we never would have started it. Um, we never thought it would be this hard. Um, but it was. <laughs> but but here we are. Now, it's not easy to find a good co-founder um, and you have been working with Sandra for over 20 years. What do you both bring to the table? Can you describe your working relationship? I would say a business partnership is, is just every bit as difficult as a marriage, maybe even more, maybe even more so. Uh, a lot of stress is involved, um, a lot of ups and downs. 
I, I have been uh, I have been lucky in my career. I've had uh, two business partners. Uh, one um, uh, has been Sandra. Previous one was a design partner in a in a business in Ireland. I've also had a nightmare partner um, in business uh, that uh, was a Jekyll and Hyde, and that's very common if you talk to business folks who have been in you know co-founder type relationships. And of course, you don't know when you get in uh, to the, the sort of business relationship, but you you know you find out the hard way, and that's part of back to that old sort of lesson of learning. You know, you have you have to you have to kind of go through the bad one to realize what a good one is. Um, and so, yeah, um, I, I've been very fortunate. Sandra is an amazing person. She's very skillful, very intelligent. Uh, she's very perceptive. Uh, great public speaker. Uh, you know, speaks from the heart. Um, uh, very believable. Very real. Um, she's great on customer service. Uh, she, uh, doesn't suffer fools gladly. She, uh, she has a good sixth sense of knowing if we're talking to a time waster or someone who's real. Uh, so we, you know, we're, we're a good balance. I would tend to run at something and she would tend to sort of slow it, slow it down a bit and, and rethink. We've been known to, uh, scream at each other. And then two seconds later in the normal Irish tradition, we're sitting having a drink together. But it's been tough, you know. It's it's been it's been our lives. It's been everything. Uh, you got to be all in. Uh, and I tell young entrepreneurs um, this when I'm asked to, you know, speak to them. Um, general consensus is, um, you know, you get out of college, you, you can be 22, uh, earning a hundred thousand dollars a year. By 25, you'll be earning a hundred million dollars a year. And I have to say to them. Look, that's just not the real world. You know, you may have the odd group who invent YouTube or get bought out, whatever, but it's a handful. Uh, the rest of us, it's a grind. <laughs> it's just a grind. And if you grind it out, you might be lucky, but you can also grind it out and, you know, not be so lucky. Uh, so it's it's a grind, and so you need a you need a co-founder, you need a partner who could grind along with you. And uh, yeah, the grind's tough. It's not, it's just not for everybody. What would you say are the skills that you bring to the table? Um, uh, it would have to be the Irish background. When I get into a meeting, I, I don't stop talking and nobody else gets to ask a question. Uh, and so finally they say, okay, let's do it because we got to stop this guy from talking. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, you know, but seriously, I think um, with Moon, um, I'm not frightened of a big project. Uh, a lot of people are. And I think you have to not be concerned about the numbers involved, uh, the, the scale and size. If you are, people will detect that. They'll, they'll feel that, you know, 4,000 rooms, wow, that's a lot. Uh, and then, you know, maybe that's too many, maybe this. And they're looking for, you know, cracks. Uh, but I've been around this project so long, um, you know, uh, I, I, I know it has to be of a certain scale, size and cost and so on. Uh, so it, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't concern me at all. Uh, and eventually then you do find the groups that can understand that mm, maybe it has to be big. Um, so persistence, maybe. 
Insanity, maybe? It's been an interesting ride. (laughs) At the beginning, you thought you could invest about $250,000 in this project, and within six months, a deal would be done. Um, How have you had the stamina to pursue it for more than 20 years? I would say that we probably didn't, and had we known back then, we wouldn't have. But I think once you get into it, you just have to understand that you have to keep going. There's just no other way. And there have been many, many times along the line that we have thought, what on earth are we doing? You know, what have we got ourselves into? How can it be so difficult? And we've ran into everything from 9-11, partner dying uh, in in the Bahamas, uh, a a military coup in Thailand, uh, financial crisis, 08, 09, and, and, you know, COVID. And it's just, you know, you're wondering what's coming next. Uh, And we have had to survive and adapt and stay alive and keep the project alive all along. I, I would say that the, the two hundred and fifty thousand and and six months, twelve months comment really comes from our own naivety and ignorance. Uh, we thought, wow, the brand is amazing. It's a no-brainer. We'll be able to get this done. let's let's just get it out there. Um, uh, because you think you know everything. You think you know the industry. We understand this, you know, hospitality entertainment industry. Nobody's going to tell us anything. And it's taken twenty years. Um, now I can tell you, we do know our project, we do know the industry, uh, and and so on. But we've had to learn a lot of really tough lessons along the way and sacrifices uh, along the way. Um, and it, yeah, it's just taken time. Now all of a sudden, project's gone viral three times around the world. Uh, we are most talked about destination resort on planet Earth right now. We're not even built. Um, so convergence eventually comes if you stick at something, but, um, not an easy, not an easy, uh, not an easy path we chose. And I think when the movie comes out, um, people will be fascinated, uh, about, um, some of the tricks we've had to get up to just to keep a, keep it alive. We kept it legal just, uh, but, uh, at times, <laughs> at times, some of the things you have to do are, uh, not for the faint of heart. So this is not your average resort project. It's taken a long time because it's hugely, hugely ambitious and imaginative. So what exactly would a Moonworld resort look like? What would guests experience? <clears throat> so there's there's really two facets to the uh, project. I mean, there's there's obviously multiple facets, but there's basically two. And if you split them, uh, end of the sort of two spheres, if you like. Uh, one is a very large, uh, contemporary, fully integrated destination resort. All the component names, more or less, you would know. Obviously, you in the industry would know, but most people would know as well. So convention center, event center, um, hotel, of course, food and beverage, and nightclubs, beach clubs, and so on. All of these names and components would be familiar. With Moon, they're all going to be very different. They're all going to be not what you've seen before. Um, 
But nevertheless, you would recognize them that you're going into a wellness center, you're going into uh, an event center for a function. So the design and the architecture and the engineering will be spectacular. Um, but that really is is part of the is part of the stay, part of the enjoyment of the project. The second sphere is where we sort of become very different and very unique. Uh, and that's where we will be able to give you the ability in your lifetime to walk on what you will believe to be the lunar surface. You'll be there for 90 minutes. You'll be able to explore a, an authentic lunar colony, a working colony. Um, and so this is not a theme park. It's not for uh, children. It, it's an adult-oriented facility. It's about exploration. It's about, obviously, space tourism. It's about astronaut training. Uh, it's about it, it, it's not the VR or AR experience. It's not a scenario where you put on a, a headset and suddenly you think you're walking on the moon. There's no headset. You are on the moon uh, and you can with your own eyes look around and, and see this uh, amazing facility. It's 10 acres in size, so it's massive. Um, and all sorts of interesting things will be there. Uh, very, very, very authentic. Um, and we. Uh, we treat it very carefully. We're building it for astronauts, so we're building it to a very, very high level. And and you know the key is is space tourism is often talked about as somewhere exciting as a niche market, but it's extraordinarily expensive. And even uh, to go up on Virgin Galactic or Blue Origin, both incredible companies, but you're talking about several hundred thousand dollars. Not easy to put on a credit card with Moon. For $500, you will be able to spend 90 minutes walking on the lunar surface. So we're really the bridge to space tourism. We're, we're, we're enabling the masses to participate rather than just be spectators. Uh, and that's our real goal for the project. The rest of the project, the destination resort, uh, is an amazing place to stay and enjoy and, and you know restaurants and hotels and, and, and so on. Uh, and that gives you the base, uh, the integrated base to be able to come for two weeks and enjoy it. But at some point along that two week journey, you're going to want to walk on the uh, you're going to want to walk on the lunar surface and blow, we're going to blow your mind with it. So it's 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 very cool. And we're we're kind of excited because um, and it, it sort of jumps back a little bit to the question earlier. What kept you going? Uh, one of the things that have, has kept us going is, you know, in those really tough times when. Um, you know, you, you're just scratching your head and saying, when are we ever going to get a break? Um, suddenly, an email pops in from the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, Indonesia. Uh, I've, I've seen your project on, on the website, and I've always wanted to be on the moon. And, and, you know, from some young person that you've never heard of, and all of a sudden you realize that everybody around the world wants to do this, but it's too expensive. Um, and so suddenly you make it, affordable, game over. Back to mathematics. It's just mathematics. One of the, one of the few subjects I was good at and, and enjoyed at school. It's just mathematics. We can put two and a half million people on the lunar surface every year. Even if we develop four of them, that's 10 million people. There's 8 billion people in the world. It's just mathematics. And so tell us more about this authentic lunar experience. What is it like on the moon? Cold? dark? What about the feeling of low gravity? 
it, it's going to be a really, really interesting experience. It's going to be really exciting. For some people, it's going to be life-changing. You arrive at the uh, facility, we'll put you through uh, sort of like an airport security scenario. Um, we'll do a quick medical to make sure you're capable of, of uh, a little bit of G that's going to be involved in the ride to get you up there. Um, then we'll take you into a sort of little uh, explanation area, uh, discovery center, and we'll tell you what's going to happen over the next 90 minutes. We'll get you into your spacesuit. Um, then you're ready to get into our shuttle system, which will give you uh, the ride of a lifetime up to the uh, up to the lunar surface. When the dry ice dissipates and the doors open uh, of the craft that you're in, you'll literally walk out onto what you will believe to be the lunar surface. You will believe you're on it. Every little detail, everything is exactly as it should be. Uh, the lunar colony will be designed and built because humans are going to be on the lunar surface very soon. So we know what they're going to look like. And this will all be done by major corporations, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Airbus, all the companies that are actually going to be doing space stuff. So all authentic. And then you've basically got 90 minutes to explore um, and go more or less wherever you want. Uh, you'll see uh, rockets that are going to be based on the moon, uh, going on to Mars and so on. So SpaceX and all these great, amazing companies that are, are developing stuff. Uh, Axiom Space, uh, just the cream of the cream, cream of the crop, phenomenal businesses. So they'll all be there. They'll all be showing what, what technology they're going to be doing. So really good on the educational side. But for some people, they'll drop to their knees. You know, for some people, they'll just, it'll be, it'll be such a wow moment that it'll just be, you know, it'll be incredible. It really will be. And we want that wow factor to come through, which is why authenticity is critically important to us. For all intents and purposes, you're you're on the moon, um, except that we're going to get you there affordably and we're also going to bring you back safely. So this is a no-risk sort of uh, bucket list item uh, as opposed to, you know, other bucket list items that sometimes can have a little bit of a... Uh, a risk involved. So it's going to be much more than a, a theme park experience. Yeah, totally different. It's very, very different. A, a theme park basically is a, is a facility with a wall around it. You pay a fee. Once you go in, you you sort of can do your own thing. Um, with the destination resort section, there's no fee. You walk in and you enjoy the destination resort. Uh, the fee only kicks in with our attractions, of which we will have multiple uh, but the lunar surface obviously is the signature attraction, um, and you just simply pay as you go on, on that. But yeah, very very different. Uh, no popcorn, you know, no candy floss, no screaming kids uh, running around. This is this is authenticity. This is this is the real thing, um, and for us, that's that's really important. We're not anti theme park, but there's thousands and thousands of theme parks all over the world. There's only two companies that do it properly. Obviously, the Disney Corporation and Universal. Uh, everybody else tries to play at it. They're, they're the only two companies that do it properly, and they're brilliant at what they do. We're just a different, totally different end of the market. Uh, we're, we're just not in that market space. That's not for us. Um, we want to be. We want to create our own. We're, we're a bit of a disruptor. We want to create our own sort of unique brand. And so, if you're standing in the desert outside Las Vegas or Dubai 
and you're looking at a Moon World resort, what will it actually look like? When people arrive at Moon, we want to watch their faces and we want the first thing them to say is, wow. And then after they've been there for a week or two, as they're leaving, we want them to turn around and look at the building and say, wow. Um, you know, it, it's the staying power. Um, and so this is why we focus so much on architecture and great architecture and, and uh, great engineering. Because people will say, how did they do that? How is that possible? Just like the Burj Khalifa, which is magnificent, um, or the Petronas Towers, or, you know, and so on. Great, great buildings around the world. Just the building itself, uh, the Guggenheim Bilbao, uh, Frank Geary, incredible architect. Um, people just come to see the building. Some never go inside, um, but they just want to be wowed by the actual physical presence of the building. So Moon is all about great architecture, engineering, technology, design, art. Um, and, and so those components are really, really important to us. And so they will see a beautiful, spectacular piece of uh, architecture and engineering. In fact, we do tours, back backdrop tours around um, the architectural engineering components for folks. Um, but uh, the sphere itself, because it's the world's largest sphere by a very considerable margin, it's a true sphere. You can walk underneath it. It's not a dome. People say their projects are spheres, but they're not. They're domes. Uh, all of the spheres in the world could fit inside Moon, so it's a massive structure. And so it will be very, it will be very compelling to look at it um, and and try to you know just figure out this this piece of. Um, incredible architecture. Then when you go inside, that's all about design. Each time you walk around the corner, we want you to be surprised. Five and a half million square feet. There's a lot of surprises. And so how much is one of these buildings going to cost to actually create? So it'll depend where in the world, uh, because costs, labor costs, material costs are a little bit different. Uh, for the US market, as an example, um, would be uh, US 5 billion minimum plus land plus infrastructure to site. But today, if you were building um, a big project in Las Vegas, it doesn't really matter what it is, it's gonna be up in that sort of number. Uh, so this is a normal sort of number for a big project. Um, obviously for some folks, they think it's an enormous number, but when, you, when you've lived with it for 20 years, it's just a normal number. Um, it, it's not so much the cost of uh, building the project. What excites us is how it pencils out so well. The return on investment is staggering. The project pays for itself very, very quickly. And so it, it's just very good economics. So you've already invested more than $20 million in Moon. What has that money been spent on and how have you raised these funds? Well, most of that is actually internal funds that you know Sandra and I have have uh, have put on the table. Um, we have uh, a really loyal, great little army of believers. We call them Moonies, um, not to be confused with <laughs> with, 
with the sect, uh, the Moonies, but we call them Moonies. Um, we've had a lot of people who've been with us for a long time. We wanted to do this because we want to keep control of the company. We didn't want to go uh, public. Once you go public, you lose control. Uh, and we've sort of been there, done that, learned that lesson. Um, and so we're at a stage now where we're ready to go to market. We are in the public market uh, space right now, um, and we don't need to generate any you know, great uh, further investment. The, the work has been done. And it's nice because we've reached this stage almost impossible uh, as it's been, but we're still in at the helm. And so we can carefully guide the project uh, forward and make sure it's exactly what we want. Now, the question everyone wants to know the answer to is when will the first Moonworld <laughs> Resort open? So right now we're in discussions with several groups in different parts of the world. Uh, we'll license Moon in four global locations, one in North America, which will be USA, one in Europe, most likely southern Spain, one in Asia, and we have multiple inquiries from different parts uh, of Asia, Singapore, South Korea, Japan obviously China, Qatar, Bahrain, uh, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. Which one will go first? Hard to know. Uh, we can do multiple ones at the same time. Uh, so uh, you know, effectively, we could do four at a time. Uh, we've got a tremendous global team of architects, engineers, designers, artists, uh, lighting folks, you name it, uh, landscaping. We've got them all. So we can move reasonably quickly probably will end up being one ahead of the other. Um, at this time, it, it's honestly hard to know which one's going to go first because right now we're in the middle of those discussions. Uh, we do basically a one-year pre-development program and a four-year build-out. Realistically, uh, this time in, in five years, um, people could be starting to uh, walk, on the, uh, walk on the moon. So exciting. Let's do some blue sky thinking. What are your personal feelings about going into space? Would you pay to go to the actual moon? Uh, I, I love the moon. Um, like everybody else, when you look up at a full moon, it's a wow. Uh, I would absolutely uh, do it. And if in my lifetime it's available, I will do it. Um, I, I wouldn't do it with a uh, with a group that had no experience in, in doing it. I want to do it with a, you know, a highly credible first rate company uh, like SpaceX, for instance, or Blue Origin, as an example, when they, when they go to the moon, those sort of world-class high quality companies. Uh, but absolutely. Yeah, I would do it. I do it in a heartbeat. The very first tagline we ever thought of uh, on that first morning after, was moon because you've been everywhere else if we said let's have lunch in venice we can do it um this the metal bird can take us anywhere nowadays but moon is the only place we can all see but we can't go i love that what do you think is the future of space tourism is it a viable industry it is but like everything else it'll have a shakedown and the shakedown will be some will make it some won't 
it's it's uh, it's going to be a niche market. It's going to be a African safari sort of scenario where uh, some people do it. A good analogy you may remember is the cruise ship industry. When my parents were sort of growing up, the, the sort of goal at that point was you're going to retire, you're going to go on a cruise, and then you're going to die. Um, so here they are in their 80s. They've been on 33 cruises and about to book another one. And so as the cruise industry um, got their pricing model correct, uh, more and more people got involved in it. And now, as you know, well, it's a massive industry. In the, in the space tourism industry right now, it's extraordinarily expensive. It's well outside you know, 1% ability to, to uh, enjoy. Eventually, over time, that price will readjust somewhat. But getting people into space is expensive. It's not a cheap exercise. And so it's not going to be, you know, there, there will never be Ryanair <laughs> of, of space, you know. Much as uh, uh, O'Leary is uh, a genius, uh, unquestionably a genius, but, um, you know, $99 is not going to get you into space. Um, it's it's not going to be that scenario, but it will come down and there will be a niche market. So viability for a few companies, I think, yes, I think it will happen. Mass volume industry, not in our lifetime. And that's where Moon fits in. We're the bridge. Uh, we can say, look, um, here's an option. Here's a very affordable, safe option. And our biggest problem actually, ironically, will be something that people don't often talk about, and that is safety and crowd control. Uh, Moon will be so busy um, from day one that our biggest challenge, I mean this seriously, is parking, uh, crowd control, um, crowd movement, volume movement of people, safety. Um, Our our issue is not how we're going to fill it. Our issue is going to be how we're going to not overfill it. Uh, it's a, often said to be, you know, well, it's a great problem to have. But, you know, when Universal opened Harry Potter uh, in uh, Florida, um, you know, there was people queuing for hours in 100 degree heat. And, you know, it, it can be very challenging when you've got something that a lot of people want. And so we got 8 billion people who know our brand. So we have to be very careful about flow and movement of people. Um, just to keep everybody really safe and and uh, and comfortable. What is your ultimate dream for Moonworld Resorts? Will this be your life's work, or are there other things you want to achieve? It'll certainly be our life's work as far as creating something of this scale is concerned. We will never do this again. What really um, our focus will be once Moon is is complete uh, is doing our own. Uh, philanthropic uh, issues, which are really involved in in uh, saving planet Earth, uh, animal welfare. Um, these are things that we want to make a, a, a big difference. A lot of that is actually subliminally, um, and not sometimes not so subliminally, uh, uh, finds its way into Moon. So, for instance, as an as an example, none of this, none of the boutique stores in Moon will be allowed to sell fur. Um, and so, what we're really saying to folks is, look, 
the fur is really better on the animal. You, you don't need to have that. Um, so we're not going to allow you to have it. If you want to go back somewhere else, but not in Moon. And we do a lot of that type of thing within Moon. So it's very different from that respect. So all of that sort of thing finds its way into Moon. We, we kind of do it for multiple reasons. We do it because it's the right thing to do, we feel. It's also the future. And young people are telling us this. Young people are voting. They're saying that we don't want to do that. We want something that is looking after the planet. We want something that is respectful to nature. And so we're doing it because this is where the market is 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 going. There's all sorts of things we do. You know, the board of the company has to be 50% female. And, and the building itself is going to be responsibly built um, with sustainability in mind as well throughout the whole operations, from what I understand. Yeah, we, we are a lead platinum building. We're the biggest, we, we will be the largest lead platinum uh, destination resort ever conceived by a significant way. Uh, and we will also operate to a lead platinum standard. So water filtration, um, gray water filtration, solar energy, and, and all of these things. Again, it's the future. We're doing it because it's the right thing to do and, and we, we want to do it, but it's also People are saying this is where we want to go. Uh, we want to go here because they do this. So it, there's a business logic to it as well, and and we'll make it very clear to you that you know this is the reason why we're asking you to do this uh, because this is you know this is the contribution you can make. So carbon neutral, yeah, we'll push the envelope as far as we can. Um, so that that sort of those sort of lessons we're trying to get across, uh, as well as Sandra's longevity. This is how you can live longer. This is how you can live better. This is how you can enjoy life more. Um, you know, here, here's things that are going to make your life easier. And uh, yeah, we'll have a we'll have an amazing. She she will put together a incredible uh, longevity wellness uh, center because that's again that's what people want. Well, good luck. This is going to be the most incredible place to visit when it finally opens. And I can't wait to have my lunar experience in a, a few years time. <laughs> I have learned so much from talking with you today. I've jotted down a few key takeaways. Being different can be a superpower. Executing an audacious idea takes stamina. And good ideas can be found at the bottom of a glass of Guinness. Thank you so much, Michael, for being on Blue Sky Thinking. It's been brilliant to talk to you. Always lovely to connect with you, Jenny, and I can't, can't wait to walk on the moon with you. Thank you for listening to Blue Sky Thinking with Jenny Southern. Before you go, I want to give you a special discount code for our Premium Vault newsletter, which explores emerging travel trends on a weekly basis. Some of the trends we have explored in recent months include survival scenarios, new age wellness and wilderness over-tourism. And what's great is that as an annual subscriber, you get access to all this content in our trend library. So if you would like 50% off an annual Vault subscription, use discount code BLUESKYTHINKINGALPHA as one word during checkout. Just visit globetrender.com vault to get signed up. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe to Blue Sky Thinking so it's stored in your podcast library, making future episodes easily discoverable. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, keep your head in the clouds and embrace the power of Blue Sky Thinking. <laughs>